talk about your solo stuff, um, Kurt. Uh, you, you, you came back. You've done three records now. And, um, you know, I, I gave him a listen. The first one was pretty much sort of mellow R&B, mid-tempo, slow-tempo. And then the more recent ones, it seems like you've branched out more and done more funk again and more variety. So could you talk about sort of that um, progression through your solo works? Sure. Um, well, I think I alluded to earlier when I started recording the first few songs for uh, 360. I had already been recording a bunch of stuff and I was recording some people trying to maybe record a couple of artists, trying to get them a deal and this and that. And I remember going from tape to digital and I went digital and uh and when the first track that I did, I was just trying something. I didn't know what it was going to be. And it, it started evolving. And I started hearing things. And I did the vocals, wrote the lyrics, did the vocals and everything. And that was a song called Is It on that album. And then I mixed it. And I was like, wow, this came out really, really good. This is better than a lot of stuff that I was trying to do when I was paying them a lot of money going in the studios, you know, it's like I'm finally got exactly what I want, the way I want it, sitting in a place that I want it. You know, everything was, and it, it was just being in the moment what, where I had seen myself going musically. And that's how the title of the album came about because I started to call the album Full Circle because it felt like I had gone full circle with everything. But at that time, Boys to Men had a song out called, uh, I think an album called Full Circle. So I said, well, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not trying to get mixed up and say, well, he took their name or this. So I said, well, how do you keep the circle theme? And uh, I thought about it for a while and said, well, circle is 360 degrees. So that's what it'll be. That's how the title for that came. The next out song after that was Someone Like You, the ballad. Did that, finish that. And that, when I remember, I did, got all, everything done up to the lead vocal. And I had an idea for the lead vocal, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to finish it. I'd done some recording that day. It was even getting close to the end of the day where I had to go pick up my son from, from school. He was like, I think he was in like a kindergarten or first grade or something like that I was going to pick him up so I said let me get, let me just lay down a rough vocal real quick get this down and I'll know where I want to start from when I come back tonight and that's when, and then I go start at night and record into the wee hours of the morning but I went and picked up my son we had dinner blah, 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 everything everybody goes to bed I come back up in the studio and I listen okay that sounds pretty good Okay, now let me really listen to it. Uh, what do I want to do? What do I want to fix? Now listen. Second note. Well, that sounds really good. And so I said, let me put it in solo and really fix what needs to be touched up. And it was just one of those moments, man, where after the third time and I played, I said, I'm not touching it. It's just, it just happened. It was that moment and evidently Whatever I put down, I wasn't thinking a lot. 
was feeling and trying to get through it. And without a lot of overthinking, the feeling came through. And that's the vocal on that song to this day. That was the second song I completed. When I heard that, I said, this is an album. This is a solo album that's, that's taking shape here. I, got it. I can feel it now. And, you know, and that led me to going onward. You know, before you even talk to me today, when I listened to it, I immediately was thinking of influences like Marvin Gaye and Ronald Isley. So, you know, definitely I hear that in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are those are thing, ingredients that I could never escape because when influences like that are responsible or kind of made you want to do it in the first place, you know, and that's all I listened to. And, and as, as a kid, Marvin Gaye's voice, I listened to the things that he did. And then I heard some stuff when I started recording getting into recording and getting familiar with how to record my voice I started saying listening to it I heard things that were similar to what Marvin would do and I said wow that's how he's doing that it's not it's not singing real hard that's how he's doing I found the place in the register because we had similar range and so I heard where the tension came from I said so that's how that's done because I heard me doing it by accident and it made me think of Marvin all the years I'd listened to him and I was like, oh, okay. So now, now I'm starting to piece some things together and starting to learn my own voice, you know, even better, you know, taking it another step further, you know, yeah. Well, so the um, solo record though, very ambitious, um, a lot of music on there, a lot of variety. Uh, a little funkier. I was very impressed by it. You know what? What were you setting out to do with that one? Truthfully, I was just continuing trying to pick up where I left off with um, 360, and I was, I was just recording a bunch of stuff. So all right, let's start recording some more songs. And so you know, I'm gonna do another record. You know, but I, you know, I didn't intend for it to turn out to be a double CD, which is what it turned out to be. I didn't plan that. I was just trying to do a good record and I kept going and going and going till I felt like I had what felt like the statement that I was trying to make and what felt complete. And once I did that, lo and behold, I had way more music than can fit on one CD. So I said, then I had to start thinking about well, what do you want to take off? What do you want to take off and maybe put on another record later? What? And I was like, no, nah, that's not what this is about with me doing this stuff. That's what record labels do. I'm doing this with my rules and my attitude toward it. And I got to the place where I said, I don't want to take anything off of it. So it's just going to be what it's going to be. I'm going to do a double C. It'll be a double CD. I, I had it mixed already. And I just said, well, take it to my guy and have it mastered, you know, and do it that way. And then I got the cover design, got that done with you know people I did the cover with and it, it worked out now I wanted it to be from like like from the old school like from a hard copy era, era. so like you know, I, but it was on CD so I said well I want the CD to be like a little album cover and it's like a little double album cover you open it both up and it's two CDs one on each side there's pictures on the inside 
and stuff credits on there. It's, if you just took it up to the size of an album, it'd have been a double album cover, but mm -hmm. it's CD size, but it's still an album. Cover. Oh. And I said, that's my theme from now on. All of this is going to look like a little album. That's kind of where that came from. So, and your most recently uh, came out with three a couple of years ago, and again, that one too is it's a single CD, but it's a lot of music and uh, a lot of good funk on there, among other stuff. And um, you know, while I was listening to these two, I was thinking of like um, just because you guys both sing and do guitar and do a lot of the music, uh, like Jesse Johnson kind of thing. You know, he does not. He hasn't recorded very often these days, but he's done a couple of things on his own where he definitely played by his own rules. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, <clears throat> there's nobody, there's no company telling you that we want you to sound like our version of whoever had the latest hits. There's nobody in the room telling you that. There's nobody in our office telling you that now that you're independent. It's, you are the CEO. You are the creative director of anything that you do. And in my mind, that's the way art should be anyway. Because without artists, you know, what does a label have to produce, promote, or sell? I think a lot of the focus has shifted from the most important part. The artist is the source. And if you don't have a source, what's a record company doing? They don't have any records to be a record company for without artists. So, but that gets into a whole another category, uh, another discussion about the business and yeah. how artists were treated from years and years past. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not a pretty picture. <laughs> yeah, it's not everybody. It's not a secret. Let's yeah. put it that way. You know, people know. Are, and, are, are, I'm sorry. Without seeing the uh, packaging, though, are you responsible for all the sounds on those records, or did you have some helpers? Yeah, I had some help. I I did basically everything on these records, but the live bass that you heard <clears throat> had my bass player friends do it uh, on 360 and on solo. 360 real bass was cut. A friend of mine named Bill Brady played with me in corporate bands in New Jersey. Brilliant bass player. And his sound, I got so attached to his sound by playing the gigs with him that I knew that anything that I wanted, you know, did with real bass, it's like, I got to have Billy play on it. You know, and it got to a point where we laughed because, he, you know, I tell him, some of these songs, man, I write with, with your bass sound and your touch in mind. Because of the way you play your turnarounds and the touch and the, what you bring to the table, it's just—it's a formula that fits mine. You know, it works, and we work so well together. Uh, he's on 360, he's on solo, and so is Ray Jackson on one one track on solo. Uh, don't say you don't say you want it. Uh, Ray Jackson played. I had had him come in and play on that, and then on three. Ray Jack is on <clears throat> two of the tracks, uh, Lone Funketeer, and Never Thought You'd Say Goodbye. Uh, Ray Jack playing on both of those. I played some keyboard bass on some of it, and he mixed in, and you know we've always worked well together. He, he'd find the, the right spots to be in and just add 
so much without taking away from the track and taking the track to another level. He, Ray Jackson is a master at that. He's done it so many times with us, with Aura, and he's done it with me. And on his own music that you you hear some of the stuff that he records, you, you, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had that and I had, on all three, three I had uh, songs that had keyboard solos. I always left the spot Monty, Monty Moyer. And when I was doing 360, I drove up from Minneapolis and took my thing out there, hard disk or whatever I was using, and and had Monty record a Fender Road solo on one of the tracks, Never <laughs> Never Take Your Love From Me. And then on solo, he did a he did he did solo on on uh, one of one of the tracks there. Uh I, <laughs> I got I to think about it, draw my own memory about what the titles of the songs were on the record. But uh, he played a or Hammond B3 organ solo on that. It was killer. And then on three, he did the same thing. I had a couple of tracks where he did one track called Can't Stop. That's gotten a lot of hits and a lot of play over the last year. And, and uh, it's, he did a beautiful Fender Road solo on that. And uh, the other song, he did a Hammond B3 organ solo on that well. And that he, Billy, and Ray Jack. That's pretty much all the outside help I had, other than background vocals. I had uh, Marcia Day sang on some of the 360, well, one, of, one, of, one or two of the tracks, I think, on 360. Um, on solo, one of the tracks, uh, native of Minneapolis, Sue Ann Carwell. She sang. Oh, yeah. uh, background on, on one of the tracks on, on solo and just some little ad lib stuff. And that's a brilliant talent too. Oh, Minneapolis based. She's been, but she's been in LA for or she had been in LA for like 20, 20 years or so. And she was like the vocal weapon of Diane Warren, her, her right hand man. You know, it's like she would do the guide vocals. Or Tony Braxton records, Celine Dion records. Uh, she she laid a guide out. Mary J. Blige. She did something when I was out there for for that guy and what was doing for Mary J. Blige. She did a uh, so much stuff. It, there's so many records that she's on, and she has so many different voices. You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it's all her because she has so many different voices. She can sing the raw, hard, rough funky stuff but she's got the smooth pop voice she's got all, all these voices she's made a career out of doing that very she's very interesting almost, almost 20 years yeah yeah don't be cruel sometime. don't be cruel for that album bobby brown yeah probably would have never happened if sue ann didn't work with him on on the book So, you know, in preparation for talking to you today, I was going through some of the YouTube stuff I told you before we went on air. And um, there's some cool stuff on there. I recommend anyone viewing, go uh, look for Kurt Jones on um, on YouTube. But some of the stuff I really got a kick out of was seeing you do some of the cover tunes that you do, including uh, things like Cosmic Slop and, of course, Slide, and seeing you really cut loose on guitar, you know. And why is it that... You know, so often 
you really got to see somebody on stage to know their full guitar chops. You don't necessarily hear the full range of it on record. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you just, I mean, I played guitar on, on a lot of the records, you know, but we had so many guys that could play guitar, you know, and like when it came to Slave, I wasn't going to be playing too many solos in front of Drac or Danny because those were the guys that they laid out the sound. I was happy to accompany and do whatever was needed from me. But on the Stone Jam album, I got to do, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the song Never Never Get Away. Me and Stevie Arrington sang the vocal on that. And uh, I got Jimmy, Jimmy Douglas had me do whatever I want. I said, what, what else? Because I wasn't even supposed to be in the studio that day. He asked Stevie, does Kurt have anything to do today? And, he, and Stevie said, no, I don't think he's scheduled for anything. He said, send Kurt over. He, like his energy, send him over. He, so I came that day and we worked on Never Get Away and started doing it. We did, me and Stevie did the vocals and started doing tracks and everything. And I put down the guitar solo on that. And I, I did rhythm tracks with the guitar solo. I think I used uh, one of Drax's strats or, or Stevie's strat, one of them. And I uh, did that and did the solo. And then um, Jimmy said, well, what else do you want to do? He said, how do you hear this? What do you want to do? He started letting me produce stuff. I said, let's get Floyd in here, man. Let's get Floyd in here and put him on timbales. And he started killing the timbales and doing, did the killer stuff that's on the timbales there that just laid it out you know we just we just had a blast doing that yeah awesome experience so where are some of those places that you're, you're playing at uh because it looks like there's small venues and and i'm and i'm seeing it and i'm thinking man i wish some of the small venues out here in charlotte north carolina had like a kurt jones ripping it up on stage like you are I'm just getting out to play because I feel like I want to play, you know. I mean, I, and I, I play music that you know. Occasionally, I've been did some of my originals uh, off of the 360 for a while with my band up in Jersey, and uh, but uh, mostly it's this classic cover stuff that that I want to hear, and you don't get to hear bands play. I got pretty, uh, it got pretty redundant to me to go out and hear bands all playing the same songs because that's kind of what works in that circuit or whatever. So I went the opposite way. I said, I want to do what nobody's playing. I want to do the stuff that made me love to buy records, made me love this music, but nobody is taking a step to play it out live. So you, so the following I got in Jersey with my band, if they came, they knew they could hear something like Cosmic Slop. They knew they could hear Standing on the Verge of Getting It On, you know, the uh, funkadelic stuff. They knew they could hear some classic arms. And, and, and not just by the numbers, but really get into it. Yeah, we had a blast. Uh, my, my band, my drummer was Kevin Nats Moore. He would play with me and Aura. He was on the Aura tours. He was on, on the Little Love album. That's my, that's my guy. <laughs> Mr. Pocket, man, he, everybody loves him. Nobody doesn't want him to be playing with them. You know, he's just that kind of guy and great friend too, really cool. And Bill Brady, I mentioned him. He was the bass player in that band that you saw those clips from. 
a friend of mine, Vince Jeffries, played keyboards. Go back with Vince since junior high school. We were in stage band together. And he was so brilliant. He was winning awards in junior high school. You know, just from the state, you know, just play. He's just that brilliant. And then a background vocalist that worked with me, Wayne Griffin, who is every bit of the front man that whatever it is that I do, he's every bit of that and 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 fronts bands of his own and and does an incredible job. But he he's just cool enough person and an incredible talent where he agreed to just come and help me because I was trying to do that with my band. I said, I need, I need somebody who knows what they're doing to help me sing some a little background on this stuff. And he said, he said, I'm there. You know, he was just no question, no question about it. He, he didn't, it's not no head trip that he wasn't fronting it because he fronts his bands, but he was down to just be a part of, you know, what I was trying to do. I love him for that because guys and the extraordinary talent. If you ever get to Jersey and you get to hear, hear the flavor band, F-L-A-V-A, flavor, go check them out. They play. And yeah. Remember that. Don't know who. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't find any live versions of you doing the, the aura tracks. Uh, is there any reason for that or am I missing them or you still playing those? I've done it a few times, uh, play slide. I've, I've done make up your mind a bit. Some of that stuff it, in small venues, it's kind of hard for me to pull off because, you know, I'm a person like this. If guys agree to come out and play with me, I want to guarantee them a certain amount of money on a night just because they made the effort and they thought it was important enough to come out, drag their gear out and drive to wherever it is and play with me. So these venues don't pay a whole lot. So you can't afford to have as many background vocalists as you need to pull off some of that stuff. And rather than try to do a version that falls short of what it is, until I can get that, I'd rather do it right than half do it. Mm -hmm. So that's why you don't hear it sometimes. But there were nights that we were able to do Make Up Your Mind. I did that. And some of the special nights were so cool because my son was there. His name's Topaz Jones. That's his, that's his show name. And uh, he's making quite a name for himself. He's got a couple projects out there. He's about to drop two new songs this Friday. He's brilliant. I mean, and not just because he's my son, because if you heard this, you said this kid on the grind, he's been on the grind since junior high school. And I watched him. And it's like, you know, when somebody's going to do something, because his mom and I saw it and we said, he's going to do this because you couldn't keep him away from it. You know, mm -hmm. and he was, he mastered garage band on his computer he was making garage bands sound like records you know and then so he moved up to logic and started doing all he just and and just always thinking always putting together his lyrics and, and beats and now it's evolved to this thing he's toured all over the world he's been in australia last summer germany london he's, he did a uh show with some pretty big names you know and he's just He's standing on the verge right now. You know, that's where he's at. Well, and yeah. he, he was there. He, I did make up your mind. And so I said, okay, I'm doing make up your mind. You know what the song is about. Think about it for a while. And I'm going to get in the middle. I'm going to break it down. When I break it down, I'm going to give you a nod. You come up here and freestyle on it. 
and he came up and just blew the song apart. Just blew, the crowd went nuts. It was just that that was too much fun. You know, I'm like time for a remake. Yeah, you know, I'm like something I did years ago on here. I'm like looking at my son who wasn't even around when I did that, and, I'm like, and he's tearing it apart, taking it to another level. I was like, eh. that's that's a moment I wish I could have had on camera. Yeah. You can say I saw him on one of the videos with you, um, and he came in and did his thing, and I could tell he had some skills. Yeah, for sure. So you must be proud. He works very hard. His work ethic is, you know, that, uh, I think he took that out of, that out of my, you know, out of my book. I, he told me when he finished his first project, and uh, he said, "He said, Dad." I said, "I said, well, yeah, what you doing?" So just released the record. I heard the stuff. It sounds great. He released it and it was out and people were getting giving a lot of likes and hits. And he said, I'm recording songs already for the next record. I said, already? He said, yeah, I'm taking a page out of your book. Because when I finished 360, he said, what are you doing? I said, 360 had just come out. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm recording new songs for a new record. He said, already? I said, why wait? It's going to take the time it's going to take anyway. You might as well get started because some of these songs may not be the ones, but you need to get started, you know. So he took that out of my, you know, took that page out of my book and he runs with it now. Nice. So what uh, what are you what are you up to right now musically and what might we see from from you in the near future? Well, right now, um, I'm always coming up with ideas and I have ideas in the, in the back of my mind and little ideas recorded uh, for songs for a future record, but I'm really in the process of completing a record on my wife, C.C. Jones. And we started this uh, a couple years back and uh, we're about three songs away from really wrapping it up and finishing it up. Um, it's going to be um, all, almost all the recording is done. We just got to get vocals and a couple little things on the last three songs. And it's being mixed by my, my partner up in Jersey, Kendall Stubbs, who worked, brilliant engineer, worked with me for years in production and independent production. He came from the Bahamas. He worked with Cool and the Gang. Cool and the, when they went down to Compass Point and recorded one of their albums, they liked him so much, they brought him up to New Jersey. And he'd been up in Jersey since, you know, he lived and got married in 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 Jersey. And I, I connected with him because Cool and the Gang and Aura and Slade, we all recorded at the House of Music in West Orange, as I mentioned. So they'd be right across the hall from us. And uh, Kendall, would, Kendall would be over there. And I'd heard all this stuff. And I said, well, who played this? And who did this? Kendall. Who mixed this? Kendall. Who played the bass on it? Kendall. I said, well, who is this Kendall? You know, and then they were like, they told me what, and they told me the story, but he came up from the Bahamas and he was playing. So fast forward, we, um, I was doing the Deja project with, with Starlina and we were in our management office. We had business management, which at that time, TWM management, who had us. We used to have, used to have Slave and Aura, but then as we evolved with Deja, we were still with them. They had the Manhattan, they had Cool in the Gang, and they had Regina Bell. So we'd see them up in the office a lot. 
so my manager was up there and uh with with our business manager and he, he says hey got this tape floating around here uh you know kendall kendall sucks i said yeah shit i know who he is yeah he works for cool and the guys yeah yeah they, they bought it this tape over he's got this track um needs needs some lyrics though so you you you're interested in trying to write something with him on it i said yeah just give me the tape um, you know so i took it home and i wrote some lyrics and did a little mock-up recording of backgrounds and leads and stuff and put it out and we did we, i just sent it back and i didn't think about it anymore I just gave it to them you know hope they liked it and then about maybe a month later we heard that uh robert palmer heard it and loved it and wanted to do it on one of his background vocals so we said wow okay cool so kendall calls me up said, hey man you heard about the song i said yeah he said yeah means we got to do something together i said yeah we do right it, so we we continued on that and that at that time we started writing together and producing and we formed a little independent production company and did a lot of stuff we did a uh some independent production for rca records and uh and we worked with a gentleman who was a major person who what was the connection for me establishing my bond with my wife because she was signed to virgin back in those days when we had the deja record out but we didn't get to meet each other she was at one of the functions that we were when we were doing a promotional function we saw each other we we knew of each other but never got to speak fast forward later years you know we're on social media and i'm seeing <clears throat> the same gentleman that got me a lot of the production work and worked with me in Virgin Records when I was with Virgin in the Texas area. He was the representative for this region when we came to Texas to take us around promotional event. His name is Roland, Roland Edison, an incredible human being, wonderful person in the industry, one of the most true and down to earth people I've met in the record industry. And, uh, saw it on her page and she saw it on my page and I said, wow, you knew him? Said, yeah, and then we started talking. One thing led to another. That's how my wife and I started connecting and uh, got into a relationship. And got married in 2016. You got married 2016? Yeah, June 2016. Oh. Yeah, still a newlywed, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. So I'm finishing up a record on her. And uh, she never, her stuff she was doing never really got to be released and she never got to be heard from that stuff the way it should have been you know the industry is full of drama and different political struggles and all that so there's always a ton of reasons why a project may never may end up where it's meant to be but i just heard her voice and i said well you know i work with females enough i know what to do with that voice when i heard it and i said you know we talked and we started talking more and more. I said, you know, you wanted to do an R&B record, you know, let's do it. You know, and we started working on the song, you know. Now, I'm very happy about what, what it is and what it's becoming. We're almost done. And I, I think we got a sound that's just right for her. And she's going to get a chance to be heard like she's never been heard before. So look out for CeCe Jones. That'll be coming out. Definitely good. 
Excellent. And and if uh, folks want to get your records, uh, what's the best way to keep up with you and to get your merchandise? Um, well, everything is on CD Baby. That's the that's where my hard copies will be sold at. And I they got that's like one of the largest uh, independent distribution companies in the world. And uh, they got me on probably 100 digital download companies, iTunes, Amazon, all of that. You can get it on Amazon, iTunes, any digital, you know, download places that are selling music. It's on Spotify. Uh, you can get it there. You can, you know, any way you prefer. I mean, things are changing with technology so, so rapidly because I remember with 360, and I did some research and checked out when the sales were coming and from abroad and from here, that maybe like one third of the sales were like digital downloads and two thirds were hard copy CDs because the, the, the audience that I'm touching base with is from an album cover generation. They, they like hard copies. Now this is early 2000s. You know, I mean, the, the album was actually released, I think uh, 2006. Yeah, 2006, and uh, there's people from our generation and then from that hardcover, album cover generation, that in 2006 still didn't have a computer, <laughs> didn't, didn't know how to use it, you know, but as the years progressed, by the time Solo came out, and I released that in 2010, four years later, things were a little different. You can see the numbers shift. More and more people become, more and more people of that generation have become more computer literate. And also what I'm finding for independent artists that the consumer is realizing now that the internet is where you can find anything you want that you're not getting to hear on the radio. Right. They figured that out now. It took a little while, but now whatever you wanted to hear on the radio, and you know it's not there anymore. You can find it. There's a place to find it. All you got to do is know the name and know what to type in, and it'll pop up. And you can purchase it if you want to support it. And uh, that's how artists stay alive. You know, they, people support the the work that they do. And, yeah. And the, the, the industry works in reverse with what allows an artist to become what they're able to become the industry sells units then they're not particular about really what's on the record if it'll sell if you're coughing on a record and it sells 100 000 copies in a day they're going to sell that you know they don't they don't really care and yeah musical integrity means nothing to the bean counters you know what i mean it's like but for musicians and artists if you go back in history and look at artists, painters, sculptors, Michelangelo, all any anybody's art got better with time and and dedication. You know, and the older they got, the art just got more and more refined and just better. Uh, look at look at Leo Fender created Fender guitars, you know? Brilliant. He didn't even play. But he created something that gave a voice to so many legends now. And that 
that has been copied from the fender company they don't want to mess with what made it work and that's why it's still what it is but later on leo fender started gnl company with his uh partner george fullerton and they uh they those guitars are leo fender said they're some of the best instruments that he ever made and that came in the back end of his life maybe the last six years of his life started in 85 he died in 91 he was working in his office maybe weeks before he passed away but that is what an artist commits to over time it just gets better it doesn't it, it doesn't go out of style quality never goes out of style just for business people what what's easy to sell is in style for them right they can make it sell easy there used to be a time where they put promotional staffs and they put work in and money in to break solid r&b records well you know things started changing hip-hop the way records were made and they started selling on the street so now they don't have to put money into breaking a record so if they had to do that again i think they'd be like a deer in headlights they don't, you know, they don't do it the way they did it back in the day, you know, but you had, you built a fan base with artists of the, of that caliber because their sound matured, their fan base followed them and grew with them. And it, it may have taken a couple records to really get it established, but the labels didn't give up on it because they believed in it. Nope, they're going to keep going. And, and lo and behold, that big record comes. Now that happens through the internet instead, but um, which is great, but I just, you know, it's a double-edged sword of getting the monies due to the artists. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting time. You're, you're looking at a time where I believe it's like the final frontier here. Like, you know, like when the, back in the days or the last frontier was going west, you know, untouched territory. And this is a territory that's kind of untouched. Nobody has it figured out yet. They don't know where how it's going to end up. It's going to work out one way or another, but the chips are still up in the air. They haven't fallen yet. And it's still evolving. But in this process, I remember talking about this with, with my friend Monty. We were talking, and this is an interesting time because more artists and really creative people are independent right now. And the music is out here and people are getting word that they know knowledge of how to, to purchase it and find it. So there's gonna be a time 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 years later, where they're gonna say, you remember back in this time in the early 2000s and then the record industry was in a different phase, you know, and then a lot of artists couldn't get record deals, but they were doing it on the internet. They were independent it was some great and they were making some really great music back then you know yeah. it, you're going to see in time something's going to happen and then uh, there'll be documentaries about you know just like you see on blues artists or something you know that you never never got to hear of before or something you know it's just a funny stage that that is going through yeah yeah well and that's why you know a program like this is necessary absolutely also so yeah absolutely and uh you know so much fun talking to you kurt um i really appreciate spending so much time great getting to know you a little bit thank you so much for doing this uh, thank you scott i appreciate it yeah i enjoyed it you know i told you i 
seen uh, a couple of your interviews and one of the ones that pulled me in was uh, the one with Morris Hayes uh, talking about what it was like to work with Prince. And, uh, and I just found that very interesting. And uh, you're doing some great work. So keep it up. Hope Thank you. You keep, you keep it up too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, and with that, that concludes our talk with Kurt Jones, fabulous guitar player, singer, composer, producer, multi-instrumentalist for Slave, the legendary Slave, Aura, Deja, and of course his solo work. And he's still going strong. Thank you so much again to Mr. Kurt Jones, a Funketeer through and through. I want to remind you to make sure to, to subscribe to Truth and Rhythm support the funk, support the artists, support the cause, and drop me an email. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, who you want to see. Hopefully it's it's all good and you like it all, but the feedback is great. So email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I want to hear from you. So until next time, as always, this is Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.